Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you. It's been great to, to sing and to worship. And uh, I'm excited now for what God's going to do in this time of teaching as we continue this series called Chronicles of the Kings, as we look at the different stories of these different kings that some have been great and some have massive struggles and some have all of the above. And we're able to learn. We're able to learn from them and to, to see what's going on in their lives and how we can look to a greater king. How there is a greater king, that Jesus is the ultimate king of our lives. Uh, so today we're looking at a guy named King Asa. King Asa, and the story of King Asa and whether or not he finishes well, and, and uh, we'll see as we go. But uh, if you've got a, a Bible with you or you see the back of the, the rack there, the chair in front of you, there's Bibles, grab the Bible, turn to Second Chronicles 14 to 16. We're going to be in that. We're going to look at the story there. And uh, I also encourage you to grab the, the outline in your bulletin and have that out. We've got some maps. And so I want to set us up for this guy that we're talking about, King Asa. And if we remember, we've got this map here of the kingdom of Israel, the united kingdom of all the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's where they start. They start with, we've got Saul as the first king, and he is ruling over all of this. David's ruling over all of this. Solomon over all of this. And that's all called that United Kingdom. And it even starts with that guy Rehoboam we talked about last week. But then, under Rehoboam, the kingdom is divided. And you have ten tribes go to the northern kingdom. And they're now called Israel in the north. And then we've got the southern kingdom called Judah in the south. Okay, so this is where we're headed now. And we are now headed into a king named Asa, who is a king in the south. He's the king of Judah. And if you look on the timeline, this is also on the little like handout outline thing in your bulletin. Asa is the third king of the southern kingdom as that goes along there. Okay, so we're going to be going into extreme detail on all of these kings up here for the next 17 years. And you're going to love it. It's going to be what our church is about. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> but no, we're, we're going to just look at some highlights over these next several weeks of some of these kings and what God has done in them, through them, and how we can learn from their story. So today, King Asa in the south, and whether or not he finishes well, I'll uh, give it away here that he doesn't when you see this clip of Deshaun Jackson. Check it out. He is going deep for Deshaun Jackson, who races, has it, touchdown! They think that he let the football go before he's in, in the end zone. I can understand Wade Phillips throwing the red flag, and he should. There you see it. Jackson gets behind both Cowboys defenders, and he is able to walk in for the score. Oh, if only he had walked in for the score. Instead, he celebrates too early, drops the ball at the one-yard line. He should know better after doing something like that in high school as well. Oh, what a fail. Celebrating in the end zone for a touchdown you didn't score. Yeah, that's rough. That's brutal. Deshaun Jackson, he's doing everything right. He's doing well. He's, he's trained hard. He's beating the guy off the line. He's faster than everybody else. He catches the ball. And right before he's about to score, he celebrates too soon. No touchdown, right? So you've got this thing where uh, Saw is kind of like Deshaun Jackson. So this story we're going to look at today has got a guy that starts off really well. But we have to be people who finish 
well. Finish strong. Go all the way. Make it to the finish line. Make it to the end zone of this life. And so we will look at this example of this guy, Asah. So again, if you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles 14, and we'll see the beginning of his story. And I'm going to kind of tell the story and just hit on some of these verses as highlights as we go. So you see 14.2. It says, Asah did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars and high places. He tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and commandments. So you've got, this guy is doing well. And remember even last week we talked about some of these laws in Deuteronomy and other places where God says, don't allow there to be these high places or these altars to these gods of other nations, these false gods. You need to make sure that you get rid of them because they become a temptation to your people to not follow God. And so right off, Asa is doing great. And so he's getting rid of those things. He begins then next to start to fortify the cities and the, the gates that he's making them strong so they can defend well against enemies. So he's being a good leader and all of that. And then now an enemy comes. Uh, you can see even, uh, verse 9 talks about this guy, Zerah the Ethiopian. And there comes an army against the people of Judah. And it says here that Asa has 300,000 people from Judah and 280,000 people from Benjamin. Because that tribe, that southern kingdom of Judah, was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. So they've got 580,000 soldiers. Then you've got, that says, this Ethiopian army that has a million soldiers plus 300 chariots. And these 300 chariots are kind of like a, like a modern-day tank. Okay, that's how they're serving. I mean, they come in and they can do a lot of damage. So that's a huge advantage. So they've got a million people plus these 300 tanks and then against 580,000. So we see, what is, what is Asa going to do about this? How is he going to respond? Is he going to go after and try and get other people's help? Is he, you know, what is he going to do? Verse 11, it says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So that's what he does. What he does is he cries out to God for God to help him. He relies on God for that help. And then what happens is it says that the Lord routed the Ethiopians before them. And then so the people of Judah have this great victory against this huge army. And they defeat them. They drive them out. It says they get a bunch of plunder and all of that. So it's this huge, amazing victory as they rely on God. Okay, so now as we look at this story and we think about, okay, what does this mean a bit for us, is something I want us to, to get here is that, yes, we can uh, do this thing of, being, uh, of looking at a guy like Asah and say, okay, Asah relied on God and God came through for him. And then, you know, our easiest assumption then is we say, okay, so then I should rely on God and God will come through for me, right? Like that's kind of how we look at that. And that's that's okay. There's something good about that. Uh, and there's even, as we look at all these Old Testament stories, I love something that Pastor Dave says is that there are temporary practices but timeless principles. 
So you might look at some of these stories, and it doesn't mean we do exactly what, um, you know, what we see the people do in these Old Testament stories, and we don't just, you know, copy-paste that to our lives now. But what we do is that we find that timeless principle within the story. And so we see this timeless principle of relying on God, on the strength of God in our lives. And, uh, and that's, what, that's the example that we see from Esau, and that's what he is able to do. But what I also want us to see, and kind of the, the way I want us to read the Old Testament and to read these stories of these kings, is I want us to also see that when we look at a king in these stories, they aren't the example for us necessarily, because most of them fail. But what they do is they help us to look to the greater king. They help point towards Jesus. And so we want to be people who look at these stories, these kings, and recognize that God is working this whole big God story towards us seeing Jesus as the greater king, as the one who ultimately does all these things that that we would hope that these earthly kings would do, and so much more. And so something even that we can see from Jesus Uh, in in this is that we know we can rely on Jesus, but even Jesus says this while he was here on earth in one of his sermons. He says, but if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And he says that, that God cares about the grass Like, that's not even something as cool as the other things. I mean, you talk about flowers and birds. Like, those are actually kind of cool. But here it says, God cares about the grass in the fields that's just going to be thrown out and burned up. It doesn't even matter at all to us. But God says he even cares about the grass. How much more does he love you? How much more does he care for you? Jesus is reminding you here how much you matter to God. How much God's heart loves and cares for each one of us, for you personally, and that God will care for you, that we rely on God and God cares for us. And so we're we're reminded of that lesson here through this first part of the story of Asa. And so we don't want to just trust in earthly kings. We don't want to just trust in our works or our good deeds. That stuff doesn't save us. We rely on God. We rely on God alone. And then his story continues in chapter 15. Okay, so chapter 15, after all this, this good things happen, and then it says this prophet comes. Okay, this prophet named Azariah. And this prophet comes to them and he says, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So it's a pretty intense message here. And he goes on to say that, you know, basically you're going to be crushed if you don't. And so Asa hears this intense message from this prophet. And he was already kind of doing good, but he listens to it. And he takes heed, he listens to the word, and he acts. And in verse 8 it says, When Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah spoke, he took courage, and he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and he restores the altar of the Lord, which was in front of the porch of the Lord. And, and so he starts to respond, and he responds well. And maybe he hadn't gotten rid of all the, the idols and things and all that. I'm not sure exactly why he's removing more. Uh, but 
but he listens. He takes heed. He, he begins then to seek God, it says. And what's so cool, in verse 10, it says, he assembled all of the people of Judah, and he assembles them at Jerusalem. And then they do all these, they make all these sacrifices. They sacrifice 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep of, from the spoil that they had brought from uh, that Ethiopian army. And then it says, they entered into the covenant. This is verse 12. They entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. They wanted to seek God with all of their heart and soul. Every part of them wants to seek after what God wants. And then they shout and they, they sound these trumpets and horns. And then uh, they all rejoiced about this. So the whole like, nation is rejoicing about this oath that they had sworn with their whole heart. And then it says, uh, and he let them find him. God let them find him. And he gave them rest. And then Asa does one more thing in verse 16. It says he also removes his mom because his mom named Ma'aka was following uh, the idol Asherah, this false god Asherah. He removes her from her role as queen mother. So he's even willing to go that far and to, like step in and talk to his mom about the stuff she's doing wrong. And so he does that and he's faithful. And he and the whole people of Judah seek after God. They seek God, it said, with their whole heart. That word seek is actually used nine times in Asa's story, that he seeks after God. He seeks after God. He is a person that longs for God's heart. He longs for God's help in his life. That, that God is who he goes to first when it comes to wanting something in life. Uh, there's actually a, a Seinfeld episode um, that I want to refer to. I, I wanted to show a clip, but it's just, it's like the whole episode I'd have to show. It just has, it, you need the whole, the whole story. So I just want to tell a bit of the story of this Seinfeld episode, and it's the, the speed dial list episode, okay? Now, in this episode, they are referring to sort of what we would call old-timey phones, but old-timey in the 90s kind of old-timey phones, okay? Not really, like, you know, some sort of crazy, like, you know, put it up to your ear deal. But, like, these are just 90s phones or a landline in your house where it would have the normal numbers that you would use to dial, but it would have a set of other numbers on top that you would have, like, a little plastic covering, and you would remove, and there's paper, and next to those buttons, it would have 10 more buttons, and you would write people's names. And you would program their number into there, and you would you'd push it, and it would be the speed dial. And there was this sort of thing of this ranking of who would be number one on, on your speed dial list. And Jerry is dating this girl who he just, he notices that he was number four on her speed dial list, but they go out on this bad date where he kind of goes cheap on the date, and he goes back to her house later and finds out he's now number seven on the speed dial list. And so, you know, he's talking to his friends, and they're all trying to figure out, how can we get higher? How can we get higher on the list? And so he's finally working it all out, and he takes her on this fancy date, and he spends tons of money. He buys her flowers, the whole nine yards, and then he goes back to her house and finds that, yes, now he's number one on the speed dial list. And George says, that takes a lot of work. you got to lift up the plastic and write the name. You know, the whole thing. And so, like, they're all excited that he's number one, but then 
the mom of the girl that Jerry's dating finds out that she is no longer number one. And so he sabotages, she sabotages the whole relationship, and then she dumps Jerry. So that's, you know, that's the end of the episode. But it's this whole thing where the, the speed dialist is like, who do you go to first, right? Who do you want to call most? And, and who's number one on your list? And your iPhone, it's the favorites part, right? And so the modern-day version. But... Uh, you know, just to sort of Jesus juke this thing, which is what it's called when we do a thing like that, and then we say, where's Jesus on your speed dial list? Uh, right? You know, that's basically what I'm doing. And so it is that thing of like, hey, now, like, when you think about your life and you think about the things that you struggle with or the points of confusion that you have in life, it's who do you go to first? Who do you go to with this kind of stuff? And we want, like, we hope for you in a real way, aside from the cheesiness of it kind of way, is that you would go to God first. The way that Asah, he seeks after God. He relies on God when they had a great enemy coming. And he trusts in what God can do for him and not just kind of what he can figure out to do for himself. And... What I think is so cool, you know, if we, as we check our hearts and who we go to first in these sorts of moments, but is also to know that as we rely on Jesus, we seek Jesus. He doesn't just say, seek me. He does. I mean, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added to you. But what's so cool is that Jesus seeks and saves us. Luke 19.10 Jesus says, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, has come to seek and save that which is lost. That Jesus doesn't just wait for you to seek him. Jesus actually seeks after you and wants to save you. And the heart of Jesus, even the heart of God, is this heart of seeking after, finding that lost sheep right? We are that lost coin, sheep, son, whatever that is, that we are that one that is lost, and Jesus is seeking after us, and he is coming for us. And that's the beautiful thing about the greater king, that we see this, that yeah, there might be this king Asah that seeks after God, but Jesus, the God and creator of all things, seeks us. And that's, I think, a beautiful thing. And I think within all of this, there is this, this sort of calling, though, for us to persevere. To persevere in seeking and relying on God. That, that God wants us to persevere in that. And that's what he wants for this king Asa in our story. And I have just a couple thoughts on that for you. And I want you to listen to this even from a, a couple different perspectives. I would say if you are a younger person... I'm going to go ahead and let you self-identify as a younger person. Okay, I won't declare that for you. We won't go through the list. But you can decide if you're younger. If you are a younger person, I want you to consider your life and the steps that you are going to take in your future and how your life will play out. And I want you to resolve on this day to be a person that seeks after God and relies on God. That your life will be about relying upon the power of God to come through in your life and not just of your own willpower, okay? I want you to resolve that today. But I also want you, if you are an older person, and again, that's up to you to self-identify, I'm actually saying to you here, 
I'm identifying as the older person, so if that helps you kind of, you know, bracket yourself off, you know, maybe that, you know, it gives a little direction. But if you are an older person, I want you to resolve today that as you have sought God and relied on God over the course of your life, you will continue to do that to the end of your days. There is no unemployment or retirement in the kingdom of God. We do not stop serving him at a certain age. We do not stop seeking him, relying on him to come through for us. We don't just sort of give up on this thing and rest. No, we keep after it. So keep after it. Resolve to keep going if you identify as one of those older people. And I say to finish well. Because this guy, Asah, he doesn't finish well. The next part of our story, we begin to see what happens as he bypasses God to rely on others. So grab your Bibles again. Look at chapter 16. Chapter 16, it says it starts uh, in the 36th year of Asah's reign. Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah. So now looking again at our map, right? You've got... uh, the kingdom of Israel is in the north. The kingdom of Judah is in the south. Our buddy Asah is the king of Judah, right? Now it says Baasha, which is just a cool word to say, I think. Baasha is the king of Israel, the north. So now you've got kind of brother against brother. They're coming to fight against each other. And so Baasha is trying to, uh, from Israel, is fighting against the people of Judah. And so now we get to see what will Asah do? Will he cry out again, you are the Lord our God, no one can save us except you. No, what happens is he gets a bunch of money, goes to the king of Aram, which is to the east of where uh, Judah and Israel are. He goes to the king of Aram and says, hey, I'll give you a bunch of money, let's make a treaty, and if you will please fight against the people of Israel. And so that's, that's what he does, and it starts to, it seems like it's going well, until verse 7, another prophet comes. Hanani the seer. Hanani the seer came and, sa- and says to Asah, Because you have relied on the king of Aram, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand, in that they are no longer going to help you. And he says, were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. So he gets this rebuke. From a prophet. And again, you know, you'd hope, okay, at this point, right, last time the prophet came and you listened to the prophet and you got rid of the idols and all that stuff. Well, what does he do this time? Does he listen? No, unfortunately. It says, Asah was angry with the seer and he puts him in prison for he's enraged with him. And, and then it says, and Asah oppressed some of the people at the same time. So Asa's going downhill fast, right? He's putting the prophet in jail and getting angry at him. Because I think, I think we do this, right? We don't really like people telling us what we're doing wrong. I don't know if there's a lot of people that do. I don't know if 
you've ever told someone they're doing something wrong and had them just respond with, you're right, and they like tear their clothes and cover themselves in ashes and, you know, confess. No, it doesn't usually go well. We are a proud people. Asah is a proud person here. And then you think, okay, well now maybe he's figured something out, but kind of like Deshaun Jackson, who actually had done that whole trick once in high school at this all-star game, he did a thing where he dove, uh, but he dove too early, and he was holding the ball out, and he landed on the one-yard line with the ball, just goes, don't, and the ball just goes out of bounds, fumble, you know? And it's just like, how could he not learn? Like, don't be like that. That's dumb. But the same way Assad doesn't learn, I guess, also in the same way we don't learn. What happens at the end of Assad's story, verse 11 and 12, actually, of chapter 16, it says, in the 39th year of his reign, and this part's a little weird, Assad became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. And so he died. End of story. That's it. Seriously, that's the end. It's just over. Okay. Uh, That's it. And, you know, this is not the lesson here, isn't like, so therefore, we Christians don't go to the doctor. Okay, you know, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, But there's this thing where it's, it's a bit of... Uh, I think it's more about that he did not seek the Lord. It specifically says that. He did not seek the Lord, but he sought the physicians only. And that we do. We need to be people who, yeah, we go to the doctor, but we seek God. Lord, please, you know, do a healing work in my life. Do a work in my body, I ask. Even do a, a healing work in my heart, Lord. And we seek the Lord for that. And so Asah bypassed that. Asah bypassed the will of God. And it's easy for us to be tempted to bypass God and go to just whatever kind of practical advice the world might offer us. But especially things like power and money and control, those are things that we go to very quickly and easily. One thing, though, that we see in Jesus that I'm so grateful for and love is that Jesus never bypassed the will of the Father in his plan to redeem humanity. Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He took that upon himself. He was willing to take that upon himself. But you see that night before he was to go through that death on the cross, he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's in this garden that is named after olive presses. These olive presses... Or that word Gethsemane just is, is olive press, essentially. It's a garden of those. And they are known that what they would do is just crush olives to get the oil. That there is this crushing that Jesus was going through in that garden. Where his very soul, like his heart was just being crushed. And he weeps these tears of blood and that whole thing. And he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Because this is showing you here. That Jesus going to the cross and enduring that suffering and enduring being forsaken by the Father himself, enduring that, that wasn't just easy for Jesus. It's easy to, for us to say, oh, he's God, that must have been, you know, it's easy for God to do whatever. But it wasn't. He had to go through that agony and that suffering and that sort of rejection from his Father. But then those next words, yet not as I will but as you will. That we follow Jesus. The one that says, 
yet not as I will, even God in the flesh, yet not as I will, but Father, as you will. What needs to happen here, I am willing to go through. He does not bypass that, no matter how painful it would be, no matter how awful it would be for him and the rejection of his father, that he was willing to go through that, that he would take the sin of the world upon himself, that he would defeat sin and death on that cross, and as he came back from the dead in full life and power in his resurrection, that we celebrate that, but we also recognize that he went through it. But it's easy for us to forget. It's so easy. It's even easy for us to forget that Jesus did that. But that's why we have some of these regular rhythms of our spiritual life. We have things that we do. It's so easy for us. I think Jesus knew it would be so easy for us to forget his death on the cross even. That he said, you know what you should do? This whole thing here, communion. Okay, I've got this way you know, for you to remember because you forget so easily. And so that's why we come and we take and we eat the bread to remember that he gave his body. And we drink from the cup to remember that he shed his blood for us. We do these things because we forget. That's why we come to church. It's why we gather together and we sing and we learn. That's why we pray regularly, why we read God's word regularly. We have these, these rhythms of our spiritual life to help us remember because we are a forgetful people. And it becomes so easy for us to bypass God and do things ourselves. So I, I don't want to put too much on a saw because we are a saw, you know? And it's so easy for us. And we need to finish well. There's even, a, you know, an awesome, like, organization. We even, like, want to learn and grow. Uh, there's this thing called the Master's Program. It's for men and women. They've got, like, online stuff. But it is a thing where you do this. It, it's a whole course that recognizes that we as people, as we grow older, have a hard time finishing well. And we might live a life of some success... But we have a hard time then kind of transitioning to what the later parts of our life are and recognizing how can we not just have success but have significance. And so it's something that just kind of helps you to be able to do that. So I encourage you, just check it out. The master's program. Just Google it. You'll figure it out. <laughs> so, uh, but that, that's why we have that kind of stuff to help us. And then I want to show you something because I think what we need to do is also to see, like, what part does Jesus play in our lives? Because we're such a forgetful people. Now, check out this thing on the screens here. All right, so this is what is true of, of many of us. Imagine the circle is our lives. And we've got all these, these wedges of the pie that are, you know, work and school or ministry, like going to church and doing stuff, like exercise, friends, family, entertainment. And then Jesus, of course. Like Jesus, at some point, Jesus became part of your life, right? And that's a good thing. And we've got this whole thing where Jesus is a part of our life. But there's something wrong, and we realize, like, oh, no, I know what it is. I need to have Jesus be a bigger part of my life, right? And so Jesus becomes a bigger part of our life, and we're thinking, yeah, this is good. I've got this huge Jesus-y part, and then I've also got these other parts of my work and school and friends and all of that. But there's still a problem with this picture. And the problem is, is that Jesus must be the center of our life, not just the most impart, important part of our life. 
Okay, here's what I mean by that. This is what has to happen. What has to happen is that Jesus becomes the center of our lives, and then Jesus permeates into all of the parts of our lives. That we have Jesus in our work, in our school, in our ministry, entertainment, friends, all of that. Because what we do is, is we have Jesus as part of our lives, and then we go to work. And we think, all right, I'm here at work. And we don't seek God or rely on God at work because the Jesus part's over here. I'm in the work part now, Jesus. Stay in your part, right? And then we go and we're like hanging out with our friends. And we're like, okay, so I'm in my friend's part. Do we seek God and rely on God for the stuff with our friends or family or whatever, right? And then, no, no, Jesus, you're in your part. We need Jesus to be part of everything. Jesus needs to be influencing and and. and being part of all of this stuff. Even our exercise. That's why we have, why we have CalFit, right? So you can come tomorrow morning and have Jesus the exercise. Uh, and it's awesome. But it's all of this is, is what we need to have. Okay, so you can then consider how can Jesus be involved in all of the parts of your life. You seek him. You rely on him in all of those parts. Not just a part of your life. Um, there's, there's a story of this, this movie. There's this super weird Russian art film that's like 20 years old called Stalker. And it's not like about stalkers. It's like, it's, it's just super weird, dark, bleak, post-apocalyptic world where everything's terrible. And there's even aliens and stuff. It's kind of sci-fi, weird. And the world is ending, and it's all struggle and just darkness. And I don't recommend watching it. It's literally in Russian. I, uh, you can find some weird things online. But it's just, it's this weird, dark movie. And I'm telling you the story of this weird movie for one reason, okay? There's this part of it in this whole thing, in this story, where there's this place called The Room. And the room, if you can get there, and it's hard to get to the room, but if you, you can go on, like, have to overcome all these obstacles and dangers and whatever to get to the room. But at the room, if you get in it, it will grant you whatever is the thing that you most desire, okay? It will grant you whatever your heart wants most. Now, hear me. I did not say it will grant you a wish, you don't get to say a wish. You just get to the room, and when you get in the room, it grants whatever you desire most. Now, that sounds all good, especially if you're in this, like, bleak, dark, crazy Russian art film world, okay? You are, you're, you're living in this society, you think, okay, I gotta get to the room, and everything's gonna be okay. But what happens is you've got people that make it to the room, and what they desire most is revenge, You've got people that make it to the room, and what they desire most is some sort of fleeting lust, right? Like just some sort of pleasure that would just be here and gone, but it's a moment of pleasure. You've got people that desire selfish, greedy sorts of things, like all the money in the world or whatever, but you live in this crazy world with aliens killing you, and it doesn't matter that you have tons of money, okay? And so you've got, you know, this, this whole thing where you get into this room, and just whatever you desire most comes out. It's an interesting thing to think about. Like, what would that be for me, right? 
what would just that be? That sort of just whatever that visceral thing that would just be what you desire most that would come out. I want you to think about that. And then maybe a little bit of a cooler Jesus Duke kind of moment, but it's still, <laughs> you know, to see how can you be seeking Jesus to transform your deepest desires. Whatever it is that you desire most would be Jesus or to be what it would be that Jesus would most desire, right? Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus cared about that. Is that what we care about most? You know, would that be what comes out? What would come out if you went into the room right now, today? And so as we close, as we, as we think about these things, I just want you to realize and think about this, that, that Jesus is the king who can be relied on. He is the king that seeks us. He's the king that never bypassed the will of the Father. So I encourage you, timeless principle-wise, to rely on God, to seek God, to not bypass God, but to finish well. And to, to see how your deep desires can be transformed. That you have your eyes so fixed on Jesus that what you desire most is completely transformed to be the things that Jesus desires most. That our hearts can be changed in that kind of way. Because if this whole thing that we're doing is, is like a race, and the New Testament says it is like a race. We are running a race, and we are to run it with perseverance. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus in that race, but we're to do it all the way to the finish line. Well, then we need to know what the finish line is. And I tell you today, the finish line is Jesus. That's why we keep our eyes fixed on him. So we run all the way and we keep running to him and to the heart of Christ. And we pursue Christ with every aspect of our lives. So at, in this moment, we're going to transition to a time of worship. But I also want you to grab your bulletins. This little outline inside of it. On the bottom, it has this part that says response. And it's even got some space to write. And I want you to think about this. It says, take a moment to write down on the outline what you want the most in life. Maybe it's what you think would happen if you went into the room. But then consider and reflect on how you spend your time, your money, and your attention. And kind of, you know, does how you spend your time, money, and attention align with what you want most? And then reflect and pray about how can Jesus grow into becoming what you want the most in this world, both in your desire and in your practice, okay? Both what you want and what you actually do. So let's let that be the prayer of our heart as we worship, as we come to the stations and remember, as we take communion, as we give our offerings to the Lord, as you can go to these prayer points and receive prayer as we sing. Let's, let's give this time to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we worship you. We love you, God. Lord, we just ask that you would transform our hearts, change our desires, Lord, from these, these fleeting momentary pleasures, God. From the darker, vengeful thoughts that we might have or whatever greedy things that can come. Lord, may our hearts be transformed to be like your heart, God. Shape us, Lord. In Jesus' name.